Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 104, and today we'll be chatting with Taylor Conroy. Taylor is a co-founder and CEO of two social enterprise startups, Change Heroes and Journey 333. Before diving into social enterprise, Taylor was running a successful real estate business. After a life-changing trip to Uganda in 2009, Taylor came back to Canada, sold his business, and launched Change Heroes, a SaaS company serving the world's most innovative and dedicated nonprofits to engage people in giving through personal videos. Change Heroes has since helped thousands of people to bring together friends from over 80 different countries to fund projects including schools, libraries, girls' scholarships, anti-trafficking work, and has had an impact in more than 14 countries, reaching over 200,000 people. Seeing the growing desire millennials have for wanting to affect change in travel, Taylor saw a huge need and recently launched Journey 333, an impact travel company that exists to shift humanity by systematically shifting 1% of the North American millennial generation to become truly empathetic and connected by 2025. Taylor is also a sought-after speaker who is presented all around the world to over 100,000 people. He regularly presents at the United Nations in New York, has lectured on social entrepreneurship at Harvard, Princeton, NYU, Cornell, and Stanford. He has studied meditation with Zen monks in Japan, surfed the longest wave in the world in Peru, filmed documentaries in Cambodia, Uganda, and Ecuador, become a yoga teacher in Costa Rica, has run with the bulls in Spain, traveled to more than 35 countries, and explored every continent on Earth. Taylor joins us to share his story, what motivated him to launch socially-minded startups, some of the impact his organizations have had so far, some of the challenges he's had to overcome in the social enterprise space, how he's worked with corporate partners like Disney and DHL, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at Hack2Start, drop us an email at heyathacktostart.com, or share your feedback right in iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Taylor. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, guys. Franco and I are really excited to have you on the show to share your story of building Change Heroes and Journey 333. But before we get into that, we'd like to know a bit more about you. Where are you from and what did you study? So I'm from a little town called Kelowna, very non-diverse, nondescript town in the middle of British Columbia, which is lovely, kind of retirement city. And I studied I mean, I graduated high school, went traveling for a year, ended up becoming a firefighter for for four years, a professional firefighter in Victoria, British Columbia, then picked up real estate on the side, did that for about five years, and then started my first social venture, which is called Change Heroes. So you started your career in real estate. How did you transition into your passion for social entrepreneurship? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, it wasn't necessarily about you know, like, hmm, I think I would like to do something a little bit better with my life or something that's going to make a difference. It wasn't soft like that. Like so many of these kind of stories that we hear, we say, we hear people being like, you know, I was working in corporate America and I wanted to do something better in my life. So I decided to work for such and such a nonprofit. Really the impetus was from a selfish reason in, in my mind was I was not satisfied with how I felt day to day. I was like, you know, all I'm doing every day is I'm hawking condos. I'm selling, I'm selling real estate, which is good and it's fun and it's exciting. But I also saw where that path was going to lead me because I knew my life was, was, was completely revolved around goals. I would set this goal monetarily. I want to be a millionaire. I want to make $500,000 in a year or I want to sell you know 200 condos, whatever it is. And I would strive like crazy to hit those goals only to realize that once you do hit a goal, then you got to set another one. 
you know, and that was my life was just goal after goal after goal for almost all of my 20s. And when I got to be about 27, 28, I started thinking, you know, I don't want this to be my life. I, I looked at my life trajectory and I saw that the path that I was on was a very clear and fast path to being a little bit overweight, having a man ponytail and driving a red Miata. And what I mean, you know, like the, the picturesque kind of midlife crisis. And, and I think that people have midlife crisis because they've been doing what society touts as being something that will give them happiness, which is usually monetarily driven. And, and then wake up one day realizing, wow, I'm not happy because I've been, you know, acting out someone else's play, if you will. And so that's when I kind of went off course and decided I wanted to get involved in something that was going to not just make people's lives a little bit better, but make a lot of people's lives a lot better. And that's what I'm obsessed with. And that's what I do. That's why I do Change Heroes and, and Journey Now. That's awesome. I got a very uh, vivid mental picture about the uh, man driving the Miata with a ponytail. <laughs> that, <laughs> Don't let that happen. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you left real estate in 2009 after, after a trip to uh, Uganda. So can you, tell us, you, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about this trip and what really prompted you to go and what happened over the course of that adventure? Yeah, for sure. And you, t- and you guys told me before we got on that I could just speak bluntly and, and really openly. So I'll, I won't like beat around the bush. Like sometimes you kind of got to soften stuff for some audiences. But here's the, the in the with your reality. I went on this trip to Uganda and Kenya. Went to like a couple different villages. The first one is on the the, the Rinzori Mountain Range, which is on the, the border of the Congo and Uganda. And how do how do I boil this down? I met girls who are about eleven or twelve years old, and I knew that what their life had in store was that they would get married soon around the age of 11 or 12. They would then spend the rest of their life having as many babies as their husband would like and basically doing backbreaking labor and raising the kids. And it just struck me so deeply that these people did had they literally had no choice as their life trajectory. Like we here in in the western world we we think we have that or maybe it's like an American dream. We think that you know even if you're you know, living on the streets or you're sweeping streets or whatever it is, is you have an opportunity to work your way up and to, you have an opportunity to, you know, make something of yourself, let's say. But what struck me so deeply when I was on this trip was that these people didn't have a choice. And, and if they were to get, let's say, malaria or they were going to get other preventable disease, they really had no choice. Chances are they would die. And that just blew my mind and it blew my brain wide open, my heart wide open. And that was a big impetus before coming back and and, you know, the feeling that you get when you're on one of these trips, in my experience anyways, um, and when you get really immersed into a new culture and meet people at a really core level and get to talk to them about their goals and their dreams and their challenges and their aspirations and all the things and realize that they're exactly the same as you, yet they're just living in a different place in the world. And I know that sounds basic because you're thinking, yeah, of course, we're all the same. But when you really feel that at a cellular level, then for me, coming back and doing something was, there, it was a no-brainer. There's like no choice. You know, once you realize you're the exact same as people and they, and they are going through stuff that ideally they shouldn't have to go through, then, you know, doing something about it is it's just a given. Yeah, absolutely. And so that motivated you to start Change Heroes. So can you tell, talk to us a little bit about that organization and what it's all about? Yeah. So, I mean, Change Heroes is super simple. I, I, I reached out to when I got back from that trip. I was like, I want to do something. I want to what I want to do, what I think is going to have a big impact is a schoolhouse. I want to raise enough money. I want to raise $10,000 to build one schoolhouse. They'll educate kids just like the ones that I met um, on that trip. And education has profound impacts, you know, short-term, long-term on these villages and communities and and the countries. And in that, like a couple of just random stats would be, you know, every year that a girl receives an education in the developing world increases her earning potential by up to 20%. That's every year of education that a girl receives in the developing world, income, income earning potential up by 20%. Or you know, girls that are educated in the developing world will typically get married an average of four years later and have 2.2 fewer children. You know, it's just profound. And so I got back and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to fund a schoolhouse 
that'll you know spread education and that'd be wonderful. And so what I did is I reached out to 33 of my friends. I asked all of them to give $3.33 a day for three months. And when you add that up, 33 friends, $3.33 a day for three months, that adds up to $10,000, enough to build one schoolhouse. I reached out to all my friends via personal video. So, you know, I'd make one for Tyler. Hey, Tyler, I'm really excited about this. We're going to build a school in Kenya. He would then, you know, enter his credit card information. I'm Obviously, I'm boiling it down to very simplistic terms. But all my friends ended up giving. 24 hours later, we had raised $10,000. And it blew my mind. And I was like, wait a second, we just raised ten grand in a day? What if other people could do this too? And so I had a friend of mine do the same thing. He reached out to his friends. He raised 10 grand in a day. He ended up raising 20 grand in two days. Then we had other people do it, friends, friends of friends, friends of friends of friends, ended up funding 100 schoolhouses in eight countries uh, in, in, on the African continent, Southeast Asia, and Latin America. And then we just decided, decided, like, let's make this a business. Let's make this into a company, a software company that funds you know, water projects, girl scholarships, anti-sex trafficking, libraries, schools, you, know, you name it. And, and so to date, Change Heroes, is, it's now, it is a software company that is used by some of the world's leading nonprofits. And it helps them tap into their millennial databases. And it has funded now well over 400 projects in 14 countries that will impact about 200,000 people. Crazy. And so I just want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit just to just to show the scope and scale of it. You know, since since you guys have started, you know, you, you touched on that 14 countries, 200,000 people. You guys have also, you know, obviously gotten a lot of recognition along the way, winning best social enterprise at Startup World Finals in San Francisco. So how did you take that from an idea and build it into such an organization that could achieve this type of scale? Because this, this isn't something that, you know, a lot of people hear of in the social enterprise sort of space. Well, I, to be totally honest, it's fucking hard. It is hard, dude. Like building building any company, building any startup. I look at a startup as like a it's almost like at first it's an idea, you know, which is even before the before the the company is is a baby. You know what I mean? Like if to link it and liken it to human life, change heroes as a the thought process behind it was can we monetize, you know, doing good? Can we monetize a company? Can we do a build a for profit company, leverage existing commercial vehicles? Um, like venture capital investment, et cetera, and build a tech company. And the reason that we wanted to build a for-profit company is because for-profit, in my mind, for-profit companies typically and or historically just scale exponentially faster than a nonprofit can scale. They're not constricted by a lot of the constraints that nonprofits are constricted by. And so we decided that we would monetize by taking a percentage of funds raised. So Change Heroes now takes 8% of, of funds raised. So if you funded a school for $10,000, Change Heroes would make $800. I mean, part of that would go to payment processing and whatnot. So changers would make roughly, you know, $500 from that. And building it that way, that way we could go out to investors, which we did. We went out to investors and raised uh, a couple million bucks in, in venture capital to build changers into what it is today. So we could hire some really amazing developers. We could hire great designers and account managers and hire really great people instead of being, you know, beholden to donations that were coming in and only being able to scale at a, at a really slow pace. So that's why we, that's why we went for profit route. And again, it's incredibly hard to build a company, whether you're building a totally for profit company, a social enterprise like Change Heroes, or starting a nonprofit. So even though right now, I mean, it looks like this glossy, beautiful thing on the outside. And I think the web, I'm really proud of it, and the website looks great. A lot of challenges, just like you'd go through with any any um, startup, and still having challenges, you know, every day. That's what it's like building a company. But at the end of the day, you know, we always look back and our investors look at it and go, "Wow, you know, the money they put into there resulted." And and it's mind blowing just to think of 200,000 people being impacted by the work that it's done still just totally blows me away that it's all happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned that, you know, you guys are partnered with some pretty large brands like Disney, DHL and some other nonprofits like Free the Children. So, you know, how did you go into creating these opportunities and, and approaching these kinds of partnerships? 
That's that's a really good question. And the the one that's probably the best one to to look. I can talk about Disney and, and KPMG. Those ones came a little bit more organically. But when when we're starting out, and a lot of people ask that question, especially when they're starting something to do with the nonprofit space, they're like, "How did you partner with you know United Nations Foundation or Free the Children or Room to Read or Pencils of Promise?" And in reality, what we did with Free the Children, which was our first partner, is we didn't ask them for anything. You know, we we went out and we raised them three hundred thousand dollars. We didn't take anything off the top. We didn't take the five percent or eight percent off. We literally raised them three hundred thousand dollars for free, and that was in essence to show them, look, this isn't some idea. This is this is a growing concern. This is something that's going to actually work, and it's already working. It's already raised you guys three hundred thousand dollars. So that's when we went to them and said, look, it's working. This again, it's not an idea phase. This isn't beta. This is like this is working. We'd love to work with you guys, partner with you, so we can actually expand on the success that we've already had. And I think that a lot of startups will go out there and not start until they have partnerships in place as a chicken before the egg kind of thing. When in reality, you know, why would why would a company like Free the Children, this incredibly amazing, successful, uh, impactful nonprofit with with mind-blowingly huge partnerships all over the world and incredible donors all over the world and supporters everywhere why would they partner with an idea you know like if i was to come in and say i've got this idea for a whole bunch of people give me three dollars and 33 cents a day for three months you should you know send put me out on your social media or you should bring us to we day or you should do anything for us i would if i was running for the children i would have turned us away you know but because i got to go there with metrics saying look this is how many people started campaigns they raised three hundred thousand dollars here's the average raise all we need is a thousand more users, and that's going to raise, you know, one point five million dollars. I'm just kind of making up numbers right now, and and that's what made it tangible for them. And so I got to sit down with with Craig Kielberger, and he's like, "Yep, makes sense. Let's do it." I sat down with his brother Mark. They loved the idea, and because of that partnership, because of proving ourselves first, we've ended up funding. I think it's close to about 150 schoolhouses through Free the Children in countries again all over the world. We've done trips to the Amazon region of Ecuador, deep into the Masamara region of Kenya with Free the Children. They've had me come and speak at We Day like six times in front of audiences of like 15,000 people. And the only reason that that happened, the reason they were you know willing to kind of scratch our back is because we started out by scratching theirs and not asking them for anything. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's really huge advice and, and invaluable to anyone who's starting any kind of thing is to kind of go out there and get some traction and prove it. Um, yeah. But obviously that that's... That's that's hard to do in some cases, or or at least initially. So yeah, that's that's hard to do. Yet, yeah, duh. Like, and I know I know that you know that that stuff is hard to do. That's why we do it. You know what I mean? Like if you yeah. get entrepreneurs complaining, well, it's really hard. Yeah, that's why not everyone starts a company, and that's why it's also also fun is you get to you get to solve some incredibly huge problems that no one else can solve because they're not willing to put in the work. Exactly. So, so you know, you, you talked about kind of having the idea of having, you know, 33 friends just give their pocket change for three months, making a video, going all the way towards, you know, proving that it's more than a concept. So what were some of those challenges between that for you specifically? Like, how did you convince friends to, to put up a video? How did you figure out how to, you know, assemble the first team that you guys had? What, what were some of those challenges like specifically for you? I, I know that's a loaded question. Yeah. I mean, if I had a book of challenges that we faced, that would be bigger than in all of the encyclopedia volumes of Britannica or whatever it is. Like the challenges that we faced were, were exponential. And from the, from the beginning, it was, like you said, getting people on board. There's always a, I think there's always a bit of what you might call luck or you might call you know, synchronicity or something. Really what happened at the beginning with Change Heroes was I did that first campaign, raised the $10,000. Then this incredible guy named Elton, I mean, this guy's been involved with Change Heroes from the beginning. He's the one, I sat down with him. I told him about the idea. 
He says, I really like that. He says, I want to do that too. I want to raise the 10 grand. And I had heard that about by a bunch of times. People have said, oh yeah, I want to do it too. But getting someone to sit down and make videos for their friends and actually try to raise $10,000 and put themselves out there on social media is is difficult. And, but he, I said, okay, well, sure. I'm sure you want to do it. You know, a lot of other people want to do it too, but they don't really follow through. I said, make a list of 33 friends and send it to me and put their email addresses down and then we'll get you started. And so I left the meeting, I got home, you know, whatever it was, half an hour later or so. And there in my inbox, there's this list of 33 friends. He's done it by the time I got home. And I was like, wait a sec, this guy, this guy's for real. And so we did it. We kind of hacked together this little campaign where we built, we didn't really even have the software built back then. You know, we were just kind of hacking together YouTube and Dropbox and free tools that were available to build this campaign out. And, and, and Elton's the one who really got us started. He put the effort in it, into it. He sent it out to all the videos out to his friends. Again, he raised 10 grand in a day. He ended up raising 20 grand in two days. And that guy has been doing some incredible stuff for us from the very beginning. He was one of our very first investors at Change Heroes. And that came in the way of him calling me and saying, hey, Taylor, I really want to do some more kind of philanthropic initiatives. You know, what should I do? And I said, you know, it's going to be amazing if you invested in our company because then we could build our company. And we could grow it. We could hire people and get more people like you raising funds. And he said, done, done deal. He sent in, he sent in a, a, a healthy check to, uh, to invest in Change Heroes. And he's been a huge supporter of ours ever since. So I know you asked about challenges, but that's, you know, that's kind of like the silver lining is Elton is the, the epitome of the silver lining. But challenges that we faced were technical challenges, like how do you build a software that has you know, never existed before? And so hiring, trying to hire the right people, we hired not the best developer in the world um, at the beginning and had to let him go and went through all sorts of challenges from technology to hiring to trying to find office space to trying to find our first investors raising capital for a company that and you've never raised capital before is like I don't, I don't know what to liken it to maybe like putting your head in a gate and slamming the gate on your head like you know <laughs> 59 times and then getting out and then falling on a rake you know what I mean like that's what it's like trying to raise capital for a company we've never done it before so yeah I mean challenges up, up the yin yang um, all the time with changers, but the reason that we you know, persevered through it is because our why, or the reason that we were doing it, was because we thought it was going to shift the world. We thought it was going to literally shift the mentality, the hearts and minds of people all over the world. And now, to date, it's had you know sixteen thousand people from eighty countries all over the world. I'm talking like campaigns going out in Swiss and Swedish and German and, and people from Australia and all over the place. And 16,000 people have given $3.33 a day for three months, again, from 80 countries. And so it makes all those challenges, you know, worth it. So today you're focused on another project called Journey 333. So what is Journey 333 and what motivated you to start it? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, those six, you know, what's crazy is, here's the thing. Let's say that you guys wanted to go on a trip. Let's say you guys wanted to go on a trip to, and that a meaningful trip. And you guys are both millennials. You know, millennials, this gen, our generation, we want to do shit in the world. We don't want to just stand by. We don't want to just go to, if we're, if we're going to travel, we don't just go to fucking Mexico and sit on the beach for a week and come home with nothing but a sunburn and a hangover. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, like eating, so some gre- some, eating some greasy buffet and, you know, maybe doing some aqua aerobics or something. It's just shit. And if we, on the other side of the spectrum, if we want to go out and actually make a difference in the world, what are our choices? Well, we could do Habitat for Humanity and go bang nails for, for a week straight, probably not meet that many people like us, probably you know have a little bit of fun maybe at night before bed kind of thing. It's not really up the millennials kind of alley. Or you could do what is known as kind of volunteer travel, where in my mind, a lot of, a lot of these trips are about going to, let's say, somewhere on the African continent and 
doing what we call poverty tours. You kind of go around and look and be like, oh, yep, there's some poor people there. Uh, there oh, there's some people living in, in poverty. That's too bad. Um, but, you know, I'm here and maybe you hold some orphans and potentially feel like a good person and post some, you know, pictures on Instagram. And that right now, that's that's the choices that are available. And it's just shit. It's terrible. And it's terrible because this generation, there's such a massive need for impactful travel. And this this generation travels more than any travel, more, more than any generation that's ever existed on Earth. It's a $200 billion is what millennials spend on travel every year. $200 billion increasing 20% every single year. Over two-thirds of millennials have passports as, as uh, compared to one-third of baby boomers. And, and our generation, we get married like we get married like eight years later than predecessor generations. We push off buying homes or cars, all these like major purchases. What does that do? It gives us tons of free time to travel, to do what we want to do, to feel freedom, to see, experience other cultures, to immerse ourselves into new environments that you know that we usually only see in books or online. And so this generation wants to travel like crazy. They want to do impact travel and there's nothing out there serving this market in an impactful, like sustainable, impactful, like real impact way. And so what we decided to do is run a couple of trips. We brought a couple of people down to El Salvador. We said, look, if you raise enough money to build a home, you can come down there, build it with the family that's going to live it, meet every single member of that family, build it with local volunteers, and in two days, erect a house on a spot right next to like one of those shacks that I told you about, talked about before, which is like a 15 by 15 shack where people are living on the on dirt floors. They're sleeping either in hammocks or on the ground uh, or potentially a bed if they could put one together. And it's used as their living room, their bedroom, their everything. And so it, on our trips, people can come down, build homes for two days. At the end of the two days, they hand the keys to the family that's going to live in the home and watch them walk into their new home for the very first time. And then, and then what we do is after that, we want to have some time for some decompression. So we bring everyone to the beach. We do some yoga. We journal. We meditate. We bring incredible speakers. Like we've got the, the former head monk of all of Transcendental Meditation coming on our next trip uh, in September to teach people about meditation and teach people how to quiet their mind. We've got a gentleman named Jared Weiss who's this incredible love, romance, sex expert. He's going to be leading a conversation on modern relationships. You know, to bring people, these amazing kind of thought leaders in so that we have this massive, immersive five-day experience where people get to build homes for two days, have an incredibly rewarding experience, meet people that are exactly the fucking same as them, yet just we as as, as Westerners sometimes, I don't know, you could say we won the global lottery of, of being born in a place that is healthy and, and safe for the most part. And then we go to the beach and, you know, again, to yoga, meditation, journal, paddle boards, surf, depending on the country that we're going in, and, that, and just create a five-day immersive experience that is going to make people not only feel good about making a, a big impact, but it's going to make them get all their friends involved to come down. Because once you go on one of these trips, then you replicate what we talked about in the beginning of this this chat, you replicate that experience that I had, which is this feeling of oneness, this feeling of realizing I'm the exact same as these people. And what's crazy is when these people come back from these trips that's like the trip is the beginning. The trip is like the the stone getting dropped into the calm, you know, pond. Right? The ripple effect is just is what really matters. And that is people will quit their jobs and go work for a social enterprise or a nonprofit, or they'll rally 20 of their friends to come on another trip because they were so impacted by it. People talk about these experiences being the most impactful experiences of their life. And in a perfect world, they go back to being more film, but go back to, you know, normal everyday life, being more philanthropic, empathetic, and altruistic human. Oh man, I can just imagine kind of kind of shifting gears, like coming back from one of these trips. It sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it's it's like you guys. You, you obviously you have to come on a trip. You absolutely should come on a trip. You should come in September. Is is Mexico? Actually, you know what'd be dope is we're doing a we're doing a contest where you can win a trip for you and a friend. So Tyler, you can raise the money. 
and mm-hmm. you can bring Frank. You can bring Franco with you. So you raise thirty three hundred bucks to build a home, and you get entered into a trip for like a free trip for you and a friend. So all your flights, accommodations, food, everything paid for, and you get to meet the head monk of transcendental meditation. Do the you know we've got the creative director at Mavericks, which is the agency that represents Pharrell Williams and Chris Cornell and One Republic. Used to used to represent Alicia Keys, and she's coming down to do a talk on how on how talent can make change. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so anyways, so you guys are cordially invited onto the to the Mexico journey. Super cool. Um, so, so what are some of the journeys that you guys have already completed and what has been the impact from, uh, you know, having these journeys uh, completed? Yeah, I mean, tangible impact. We'd look at the first trip we did was to El Salvador. We funded we funded 23 homes in El Salvador. And so erected 23 homes in one weekend, which is more homes than have ever been built in El Salvador via this organization in one weekend ever. So typically El Salvador would would receive funding for about 25 homes per year. And we were able to build that many in one weekend because of rallying people to raise money and then go on a trip. That's how incentivizing these trips are to you know, our generation of millennials, because we're, we're a bit disillusioned with, you know, nonprofits. We don't want to just like give our money to a nonprofit and hope it gets to where it's supposed to go. We want to see it. You know, we want to see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, like really see where our money is going to be making impact. And so that's what the appeal was. So we funded 23 homes in El Salvador. The next trip we did to uh, Nicaragua was 20 homes in Nicaragua. Uh, we did a small trip to El Salvador with a few, few homes. And now we're doing Nicaragua next month for 27 homes. Following that will be Mexico or El Salvador again for another 10, then Mexico for 25 homes. And then it's going to be like 50 homes per country going up from there. But that's like the tangible impact. So that's, you know, you got to think to, to give you like some perspective, what one gentleman who received a home you know, on our first trip to El Salvador is a guy named uh, Senor Rodriguez. Senor Rodriguez is 95 years old. He's never had a brand new home in his life. He sat there banging nails and building his home with so much freaking pride. It was incredible. And mind you, Senor Rodriguez saved for months and months and months so he could pay for 10% of that home. All of these homes are paid. There's a portion of them that is paid for by the family that's going to live in it. So this 95-year-old man swinging hammers. He has his cowboy hat on. He's got a slight slight build. He's probably about 5'7". And it's big kind of blue-gray eyes and a huge toothless smile. And he was building building this house right alongside the two people that funded it, which are actually people from Vancouver. And at the end of the day, on the second day, we watched him, his 95-year-old hands, cut this ribbon, walk into his first brand new home ever in his life. And with this huge smile on his face, you know, tears welling up in his eyes, everyone's crying on the ground that, are, that had helped build the home. I was just kind of sitting in the background watching all this happen. And the impact of that, obviously, on Senor Rodriguez is, is profound. And the impact that that had on Marlon and Ariel, who were the ones who raised the money to build um, Senor Rodriguez homes, the impact on them is profound. And who knows what the impact is going to be? You know, obviously, in the short term, they've done other philanthropic projects, but I'd like to check back in with them, you know, five, ten years from now, and ask them, you know, how are they living differently because of that trip and their their experience with Senor Rodriguez? Wow, that's that's crazy. Ninety five years old, swinging a hammer. That's amazing. Such a cool, cool story. So, so what's next for for you guys? And and you know, you guys are going to be hitting up in Nicaragua soon. Is that correct? Yeah, Nicaragua is July 29th to August third, and that trip's that trip's totally full. We tried to bring fifty people. People just kept wanting to come, so we're bringing seventy five now, which. I don't even know how we're going to manage it, to be totally honest with you. It should be a fun one. So 75 people to Nicaragua in July, and we're staying at a place after the build. We're, we're building really close to Managua, so really close to the capital city. And then we head to the northwestern tip of Nicaragua, where we stay at a place called Monte Surf Lodge. It has a really cool surf break right out front, uh, two yoga decks, 
And it's a really good, you know, really good space to have people integrate, connect, form community and realize that, you know, they're not the same, not the only person going through this experience and kind of share their feelings about the whole experience all at once. That's really, really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing where you guys go and kind of the impact that you have in the upcoming months through your journeys. So you've also spoken to over 100,000 people worldwide at venues like Harvard, Princeton, the United Nations, and more. How do you begin public speaking and what advice would you have to share on the subject with others who are looking to start? I, if I was to boil it down, try to boil it down into three pieces of advice, one would be a really strong piece of advice to try as hard as possible, as much as possible to get over caring what people think about you. I know that's it's a big, it sounds like a really big thing to do, but there are tangible steps that you can take to do that. And that was a huge one for me because I was such a, was and still am to a certain extent this, I really care what people think. I do. And it just sucks because the less you give a fuck, the happier you are. 100%. Like the lower the graph, the bar graph is on how much you give a shit um, is the higher the bar graph on happiness in my mind. And what I've done, like the real tangible steps to doing that would be well, like one time I uh, was on this plane. I was really nervous for a talk coming up. I used to get just petrified nervous. My neck would go red. I'd get dry mouth. I would like feel like I was going to throw up. I'd be so nervous to public speak that I was on this plane and and I was like, man, I'm so nervous. I need to do something that is going to you know get me over the fear of, of what people think. And so I just started doing lunges all up and down the aisles on this plane. And not only lunges, but I would like look people right in the eye as I was lunging by them, which is super awkward because they can't move, right? Like they're in their seat, melted yeah. into that seat. And they're looking at you like, who is this guy and why is he staring at me deep into my soul while he's doing lunges in his stretchy pants up and down the aisle? So, But the reason for that is because it made me feel so awkward. It made me so, so incredibly awkward that at the end of it, it's also exhilarating because you're like, wow. No one got up and you know tried to hit me or anything like that, and and nothing really happened by these people feeling awkward or me feeling awkward. And starting to get used to the feeling of feeling awkward is so is such a profound medicine for fear of public speaking. Or or another time I was at this uh, pub in in Victoria, and there's this table with about four really beautiful women, and I forced myself to go up and sit down at that table because I was so nervous. I had a, a talk coming up within the next few weeks that I was crazy nervous about. It was to, for the United Nations. And I was just, I'd wake up nervous every single day and leading up to it for months. And I forced myself to sit down at that table and not say a word for a minute, just look at them in their eyes. Can you imagine how awkward that is? Like sitting how'd down, it go? totally sober and staring at them and being like, and not saying anything. And, they, and so they felt awkward and the energy was just, T- just tense and awkward. They were looking at me like, and they'd introduce themselves like, okay, I'm Stephanie. This is Ashley. This is Melissa. This is Kelly. What's your name? And I just didn't talk. And so my whole, my whole stomach is churning. My chest is like, you know, just all awkward and, and getting torn apart and, and twisting inside. Yeah. I forced myself to do it. And that after the minute I said, look, Oh my God, I'm sorry. Sorry, you guys. I had to do that. I'm just trying to get myself, you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable. And then it went well. They're like, oh, that's amazing. Where are you doing the talk? And then we had a good conversation. But, uh, you know, doing anything that can push you outside your comfort zone and get you used to – and you guys feel this like when you're walking – you go, go out of your house with some weird outfit on and you feel weird, right? You feel like, oh, my God, everyone's looking at me and they're judging me. And doing that on a daily basis lowers how much you care about what people think, increases your ability to stand on stage and, and speak openly from your heart, ideally really authentically. So yeah, that's that's tip number one, and I'll make tip number two and number three like super easy because I just totally rammed my face off on that one. Is tip number two would be join Toastmasters. 
I joined like multiple Toastmasters groups while I was getting ready for speeches so that I could practice on them over and over and over again. And then tip number three is kind of a combination of both is practice in front of your friends because practicing in front of your friends is so crazy awkward. It's the freaking worst. You get, you get like eight of your friends together. They all sit on a couch and you practice a talk on them. It's just like gut-wrenchingly awkward. For me anyways, it was. But doing that, if you can talk in front of 80 of your friends standing at you, staring at you, like blink, blink, looking at you, like entertain us. And and then, then you can do a group of 100 you know, people that don't know you, uh, no problem. Oh, man. That's, that's, those are some great tips and not another hilarious And they all story. suck. <laughs> and they all suck, right? It's just like, uh, so there's no easy way. It took me three years to get out of my fear of public speaking. Three years of speaking regularly. It just sucks. <laughs> you just got to put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've heard tons of, of awesome stories uh, from you tonight. Um, you know, do you have do you have one more either about traveling or giving back that you think might have impacted you the most other than that first story, I guess? I think traveling should be I think traveling should be an immersive experience. It should be something that is what's the word when there's it's like multifaceted, like has so many layers to it. I don't really believe in going on a trip for like one sole reason. Like I'm only going to go to on this trip and I'm just going to build a house and then I'm going to come home and that will be what I've done. And the reason that I don't is because I think my views on travel reflects the view of our generation, our millennials, our millennial generation. We want a lot of things at once. We want our job not to just be a paycheck. We want our job to be where there are community is, where we get to work with our friends, where it's fulfilling and it's hopefully giving back to the world and we get our great paycheck. We want a lot of things all at once. And I think that is possible this time in our history, it's an amazing time right now to be alive and to be a millennial in the workforce is an incredible time. There's so many opportunities open to us. And I think that travel should be like that. There should be this immersive experience that is multifaceted. You should be meeting incredible people. You should be learning your face off, you know, not just about other cultures, but about from thought leaders in different sectors, which is why we bring these thought leaders in. You should be dancing. You should be partying, which is why we do. I don't know if you've ever heard of Daybreaker. There's this there's an event called Daybreaker, which it's a morning dance party from 7 to 9 every morning. It's all over the world now. A couple of friends of mine started it, and it just blew up. They have like 800 people in the morning who will come out and dance from 7 to 9 in the morning, and then they'll go to their job as a lawyer or an accountant or whatever it is. And, and so we'll bring some crew from the Daybreaker uh, movement to come and facilitate morning dance parties and have DJs. And yes, we build homes, and yes, we party, and yes, we you know go paddleboarding and journal and meditate and fucking cry if we feel like crying and have a full-on immersive experience that hits all of these different senses. And anyways, that was a bit, bit of a ramble to say that one of, the, one of the trips that really impacted me was a trip to uh, Japan. And because I got to go to Japan, I got to have this immersive experience where I went to, to the fish market in Tokyo, the, to- the docks of Tokyo, and got to eat sushi that was like literally fresh off the boat. I got to do, meditate with Zen monks uh, at this international kind of Zen center at like four in the morning, staring at a wall for, for 45 minutes straight. Um, and having an incredible kind of epiphany moment there. And I also got to, I love Japan because I got to go and, and to the birthplace of Reiki. I really love kind of energy healing, sound meditation, you know, stuff that really uses, I don't know, let's add a holistic healing methodologies for lack of better terms. I got to visit the birthplace of Reiki. And so to have a trip that has all of those components to it, to me is totally fascinating. And it's why we do what we do at Journey is to give people an experience, not only an experience that they've never had before, but literally like 10 experiences that they've never had before, all in a five-day, you know, packed itinerary trip and immerse them in a group of, in a community that they're not just going to be, you know, meeting and then leaving, but they're going to be best friends with for now and for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Taylor, thanks so much, man, for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on and, and share all that with us. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but uh, I appreciate the time very much. 
Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support, so please leave us a review. Until next week, 